0: Grace Church, it's good to have you with us. Uh, Man, it's an honor to just be here in in your presence, in the presence of the Lord, be worshiping Him. And uh, we're going to just jump into the book of Malachi this morning, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And uh, before I jump in, I just want to say thanks to Pastor Chris for speaking for me last week. It was kind of an unplanned thing. Um, I'm coaching my son's baseball team, and they actually won districts here, but they didn't win at state. They didn't win the state. They actually got beat pretty good. But you know what? They gave their best effort, and I was super proud of them. So uh, I just want to say thanks to Chris, doing a good job speaking. But we're going to jump right back into uh, the series called An Extraordinary Life, Part 3. And uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Make Up Your Mind. And before I jump in, let me go to the Lord in prayer and just ask His blessing upon this message this morning. Father God, thank You for this time. Thank You for these people that are here this morning to hear Your Word. And I just pray, Father like I always do, that you would just get me out of the way and that you would speak through your word, that you would speak um, mightily to the hearts and the minds and the lives of the people present today. And I pray that some people would decide today to make you, Jesus, their God. And I pray that some people would decide today to be baptized. I pray that some people would just decide today to go all in with you and to live an extraordinary life because of what you have done for us on the cross, Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me just catch you up to speed from where we have been in the first two parts of this series. Malachi was a prophet of God and he loved and he served the Lord and he was a super courageous individual and he was courageous enough to confront an entire nation of people. He tells a nation that they're wrong and God is right. He has some guts. Okay, He is not afraid of to speak the truth in love malachi inspired by god could no longer stand by and watch as his nation uh, went out of control went down in flames he steps up and he says some hard things to an entire nation of people in malachi god is speaking to people who are weak in their faith people who were spiritually immature people who were just spiritually playing games God is speaking to people who doubted his love and his goodness. They were blaming God for everything that went wrong. These people were not spiritually strong. They were spiritually weak. The future didn't look hopeful. The future looked hopeless. Things were not going well. Things were going poorly. Some of you might say, gosh, that kind of sounds like my life. That kind of sounds like my family. That that kind of sounds like my country. Malachi's words were timely for people who were struggling. And I believe that they are timely for us at this moment, at this time as well. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Between Malachi and, and the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence from God. In Malachi, God the Father is gathering His children to plead with them, knowing that He wouldn't talk with them again for 400 years. So imagine with me, imagine your son or your daughter going off to war. Imagine them going off to college, leaving on their own. What would you say to your children, knowing that you wouldn't speak to them in a long time, or knowing that your communication would drop drastically? How would you counsel them? What would you say to them? How would you instruct them? Now imagine that your child is going the wrong direction. Imagine your child is getting ready to leave for a long time and they are going down a path of rebellion. They're making horrible decisions. And as their father or as their mother, you know you have to say some hard things to them. You know you have to do your best to keep them from ruining their lives. You need to say some things to help them live An extraordinary life. That's the book of Malachi. God won't communicate with people again for 400 years. Another book of the Bible won't be written again for 400 years. So what does He do? He sends a prophet. He sends Malachi to speak on his behalf. To speak to a people who are spiritually weak, rebellious, and people who are spiritually going in the wrong direction. In chapter 1, God started the conversation. It's like, man, how would you start that conversation with a rebellious child? God started the conversation by saying, I love you. I love you. I've always loved you. Malachi, the messenger, says, God is our Father. God is good. He loves you. Don't forget that, church. Don't forget that God loves you. He's not out to get you. He's out to save you. He's out to rescue you. He's out to redeem you. He's not out to get you. If only you knew how much you matter to God. Remember, God's the one who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk through the problems with you. Malachi says, God loves you. God's good. And He wants you to live an extraordinary life. Never forget that. No matter what Satan says, no matter what your feelings say, always know that God loves you. Ephesians three eighteen and 19 says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That doesn't sound like a God that is out to get you, that just wants to curse you or that just wants to ruin your life. He wants you to live an extraordinary life. In week two, Malachi confronted the people because they were disrespecting the Lord with their worship. God wasn't receiving any of their worship because they were offering defiled sacrifices to the Lord. Let me remind us, church, that God is the King of Kings, okay? He's the boss of all your bosses. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your best. He wants your best. When the Israelites came to worship, they were supposed to bring the best animals for the sacrifice From their flocks. They were supposed to bring the first fruits from their fields, whatever they were harvesting, and other gifts of gratitude that they wanted to give in worship to God. God didn't need their food to survive. Israel was to bring the offerings to God not because he needed them, but as an expression of the Israelites' love for and need for God. To refuse to offer gifts to God was to say that God wasn't necessary for their success. When in fact, without Him, they couldn't survive. Malachi was fired up. Let me just go so far as to say Malachi is angry because they were giving God, listen, they were giving God crippled sheep. Instead of bringing the best, they were bringing the worst. They were bringing crippled sheep and they were bringing rotten food. In worship to the Lord, defiled sacrifices. They were giving God the scraps from their table like he was a dog. In order to worship God in a worthy way, in a way that he accepts, you've got to give him your best. He wants your best. God isn't a thrift store, okay? He doesn't accept secondhand, used, broken, cleaning out the addict worship he's the king of all kings and he deserves nothing but the best the best of your time the best of your creativity your strength your money the best of your service and devotion and love he shouldn't be an afterthought he should be the center of all your thoughts you say you love jesus You say you love Jesus? You say you're a child of God? What does your worship look like? Prove it with your worship. What are you offering to the Lord? What are you giving Him? Today, Malachi leads the people to make decisions. And I do have to give a little disclaimer. You might have to buckle your seatbelts this morning. Okay? Because Malachi, this has been the challenge for me. Because I don't feel angry this morning, but Malachi is angry. Okay? So I'm trying to figure out, how do I preach a message from an angry prophet and not be angry myself? So, just bear with me. I'm going to do the best I can to be nice and kind and gentle. But seriously, buckle your seatbelts. Malachi encourages the people to make up their minds about God. You need to make up your mind about God. Malachi was preparing God's people for the first coming of Jesus. Jesus was going to come in the next chapter of Matthew. He was going to be born of a virgin. And man, the the course of history was going to be changed forever. And he was trying to prepare them for that moment. But today, I'm preparing you for the second coming. Of Jesus Christ. He is coming again. Believe it or not. He's coming again. And I'm trying to prepare you for that moment. Malachi starts chapter 2. By addressing the leadership. Let me just say. Everything rises and falls. On leadership. If leadership is corrupt. The country. The business. The organization is going to be corrupt. It's no different in the church. If leadership in the church is corrupt, the church is corrupt. Malachi goes right to the source of the problem in the church. He goes right to the leaders. And we're going to look at five things that good spiritual leadership should always focus on. So let's begin in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, Listen, you priests. I think he said it more like this. Listen, you priests, okay? I'm not going to say it like that. This command is for you. He's, He's bold. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. He starts right from the beginning and he says, You need to decide, says the Lord of heaven's armies or I will bring a terrible curse against you. You're either for God or you're against God. There's no middle ground. You decide. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. You're like, okay, that sounds like a mean, angry God, but I have to remind you that it's a good father trying to warn a rebellious child. Like, don't mess around with that, right? Don't mess with me. Give me the respect that I deserve. First of all, good spiritual leadership always focuses on the reverence and awe of God. Malachi said, Make up your minds to honor my name. The people were, were bringing crippled sheep and rotten food to worship God, they were giving him scraps from their table. They were trying to fake God out with their outward actions, but their hearts were black. Seriously, when are we going to learn that God looks in here? God looks at the heart. We need to be in reverence and awe of God. When we come to worship the Lord, our hearts Should be prepared. Hopefully, you're coming in already fired up. Keith and the band shouldn't have to get you pumped up. You should come in pumped up and ready to worship God. We should come with expectancy and eager to meet with God, the creator of the universe. We should be alert, and He should have our full attention. Our attitude, when we come in to worship God, our attitude is critical. I would tell the baseball team this. I said, Listen, guys, there's two things you can control attitude and effort. Listen, church, there's two things you can control attitude and effort. When you come in here and your attitude's poor, your worship experience is probably going to be poor. But when you come in here and you make the choice to have an attitude of worship, your worship experience is probably going to be off the hook, off the hizzle, whatever you want to say today. It's going to be awesome. Our attitude is critical when we come to worship the Lord And I also want to encourage this church, we should have a willingness to obey him. We should expect him to speak to us. And we should have a willingness to obey wherever he leads. God speak to me, please. Show me, give me direction. I don't know about you, but I'm making a few choices in the coming week. I have a few decisions I have to make. And I want God's guidance. I want his counsel. I want his instruction. We should have a willingness to obey. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at... Read those last two words with me. The heart. He looks in here. Secondly, good spiritual leaders focus on their legacy. Good leaders realize that what he or she does affects future generations. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 3 says... I will punish your descendants. Okay, if you choose to go against God, your descendants are going to be the ones who pay the price. Malachi goes on with some very strong language. He says, I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices and I will throw you on the manure pile. Wow! Wow! How many of you didn't see that coming? That I don't not too many pastors use that as a sermon title. We're gonna talk about how God's gonna throw poo in your face if you don't follow him. But all kidding aside, God says, don't mess with. holy, I'm righteous, I'm just, I'm perfect, I'm love, don't mess with me. God's ticked off because these spiritual leaders are leading masses of people right off the cliff of doom. It's it's, it's bad when leaders harm themselves, but when they harm those who are following them, ooh. God takes that very seriously. And He says, listen, if you're going to throw manure in my face, I'm going to throw it right back at you. Your worship is disgusting. That's what He's telling these people. And He's using very strong language. Listen, nowhere else in all of Scripture does God say it like He says it right here in Malachi. Okay? He's using very strong language because He's saying, your worship is disgusting. It it doesn't accomplish anything. It's not doing any good. God's raising his voice at his children. I've heard some parents say, you should never raise your voice at your children. My question is, is, what if they're about to run out into the road? What if the house is on fire? God's raising His voice at His children. He's using some very strong language because the situation has reached a point of crisis. The house is on fire. Verse 4. Got those seatbelts on? You guys okay? Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace. That is the heart of God right there. His heart is to bring life and peace. Please, don't ever forget that. God is all about life. He's all about peace. And that's what He wants to bring. And that is what I gave them This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. Okay, number three, good leadership always speaks the truth. My job isn't to tell you what you want to hear. My job is to tell you what you need to hear. They did not lie or cheat. This is talking about the priests of old. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me living good and righteous lives. Number four, good leadership practices what they preach. Come on. That's like, I'm not even going to charge you for that one. Okay? Good leadership practices what they preach. They don't just speak it. They live it. And they turned many from lives of sin. Number 5, good leadership turns people away from sin and towards Jesus Christ. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction, okay? Are you pointing people to Jesus? For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of Heaven's armies. That's a big responsibility. But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. Can you can you sense the urgency in God's tone? He wasn't okay. He was not okay with how they were living. They were dishonoring His name and God is saying, I'm not okay with this. This is wrong. You're ruining your marriages. You're ruining the church, your family, your legacy. You're dishonoring my name. And we can't reach the world if the church is lost. This is an urgent message from a good father who loves his children even though they're rebellious, stubborn, hard-hearted, and disobedient. Man, it's, it's a difficult thing to continue loving people even though they're rebellious, stubborn, hard-hearted, and disobedient. As a leader, I've, I've experienced this burden of responsibility. Godly leaders have to have thick skin soft hearts it's hard not to turn to anger it's hard sometimes not to just throw up your hands and say forget it just throw up your hands in disgust and say I'm out I just can't take this anymore let let me be honest with you Your, your choices the choices you make as individuals it doesn't just affect you the choices you make greatly affect me, greatly affect Grace Church. You know, when marriages crash and burn, I feel crushed and defeated. When you reject God, when you decide not to follow Him, it hurts us all. When you choose to be flippant with God, when you choose to worship God with crippled sheep and rotten food, It brings us all down. I I know we live in a very individualistic society. But in reality, we're more communal. We're more connected to each other than we realize. So I just want to ask us, what are you passing on to your family? What are you passing on to future generations? Because the path you take... You're like, man, this is heavy. It should be. That's a big job, a big responsibility, making decisions for your family. And the path you take is going to affect your kids and their grandkids. That's the way it works. Leaders, what are you passing on? I'm not just trying to be general, general here. I'm trying to say leaders of Grace Church, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, you're a teacher, you're a small group leader, what are you passing on to future generations? What's your legacy going to be? Are you giving God your best? I have to say, church, make up your mind. Make up your mind, man. This, I don't know. It seems like you're raising the bar really high, Pastor. Yep. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make the decision to follow Jesus and give Him the best you've got. Give Him the best. And we have Scripture that says you will not regret it. Sure, you may have days where you go, man, this is tough, or I don't want to do this anymore. But when you get to the end of your life, you won't look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have followed Jesus. You won't say that. You won't regret it. Throughout the section of scripture we just read there was a there was a word that really stood out. And I want to just focus in on this word for a moment. It's the word covenant. Over and over we're reminded of a biblical concept called covenant. And I want us to better understand this biblical concept of covenant. So so what is a covenant? The word that is translated covenant has the idea of cutting it has the idea of shedding of blood. And the word is sometimes translated a blood covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a sacred agreement based on blood. Covenant is a union of two partners in a promise. As a kid, uh, I watched a, a lot of westerns with my dad. Okay, My dad loves westerns. I would sit down. To this day, he still watches Westerns. I'll go up and hang out with him. We'll just watch a good old John Wayne or something. But there was times where, I can't remember what movie it was, but there was times where a cowboy would make a covenant with an Indian and they would cut their hands and they would shake. And now, they were blood brothers. This idea of covenant based on blood is as old as mankind. Mankind. So making a covenant like this, cutting the hand... As kids, we would just spit in our hand, you know? We didn't cut, but in the movies, they would cut their hand, blood brothers. Making a covenant like this meant that everything I possess is now available to you. Not only do you have my possessions, but you have my protection. Your enemies are my enemies. People who entered this covenant relationship we're called friends. Not the friends like on Facebook. That's like surface level friendship. This is a much deeper level friendship. Proverbs 18, in reference to Jesus, He says, There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. i got two brothers, man. We're close. I'd go to battle for them. He's closer than that. That's a covenant relationship. Christianity is a covenant Relationship. It's based upon loving kindness. God says, through Jesus Christ, whatever I possess is now available to you. My wealth is your wealth. My friends are your friends. Your enemies are my enemies. My strength is your strength. Your sorrow is my sorrow. And your joy is my joy. Through Christ, we are blood brothers with God. A covenant is an agreement based upon blood. Everything in the Bible is based upon covenant. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. And to help us understand this even further, I I just want us to look at a biblical example. And it's the example of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Jonathan, if you remember, he was the son of King Saul. And David was the one God chose to be king of all of Israel. So here we have King Saul, his son is Jonathan, and we have David over here who God wants to be king, but he's not king yet. So as you can imagine, great jealousy arose in the heart of Saul towards David. He knew that God had chosen David. Saul was afraid of David. Saul didn't want to give up his throne. He didn't want to give up his power. He loved his power more than the will of God. In 1 Samuel, we we read that David and Jonathan were the best of friends. They were blood brothers. Saul wanted to, to kill David, but we read that Jonathan, Saul's son, helped to keep David alive. Later on, we read that both Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle. And David becomes the king. And in 2 Samuel, we'll read a beautiful picture of what a covenant looks like. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 because it is just such a beautiful picture of what this biblical concept of covenant really is. One day, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, one day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him at the home of Makir, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. (coughs) Let me just get a drink because I'm going to have to say that name like 19 more times. (laughs) Mephibosheth, there we go. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. Okay, are you tracking? Everybody tracking the genealogy here? Okay. When he came to David, so David summoned him. He came to David. He bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. So why in the world would he be afraid of David? He was afraid because in this day it was a custom for the new king to kill off all the descendants of the old king. Mephibosheth thought that he was going to die at the hands of David. David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise or my covenant to your father, Jonathan. He made a covenant. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, "Who is your servant that I should bow or that I should sh- that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me?" Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, "I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household, but Mephib- Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table." Ziba had 15 sons I thought 4 was a lot and 20 servants Ziba replied yes my lord the king I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded and from that time on Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah from then on all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants and Mephibosheth who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Man, that's a beautiful picture. A great transformation took place in the life of Mephibosheth. Because a moment ago, he was an outcast. He was in hiding. He was in great fear of King David because he was a descendant from King Saul. And he thought David was going to kill him. But now we see him in the palace being treated like the king's very own son. Yesterday he slept on a filthy mat, but today he woke up on a king sized bed, all nice and comfy with some down blankets, you know? Yesterday he ate from a tin plate, he drank from a tin cup. Today he's eating off of plates made out of gold. Today. He's eating at the king's table. So so what does this have to do with us? Jonathan is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mephibosheth had the protection of David because of Jonathan. Over 2,000 years ago, church, Jesus shed his blood and he entered into a blood covenant with his father, mingling the blood of man with the blood of God on the cross. Remember, a covenant is an agreement between two persons based on blood. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood you can now choose to enter into this covenant. Through Christ, you can now say, I am in God and God is in me. We are clothed in the robe of His righteousness. God gives us His protection. God gives us His power, the sword of His Spirit, the power of His Spirit because of Jesus. When He established the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this cup is is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Mephibosheth, he represents us. He was crippled by a fall, as are we by the fall of sin. Because he was crippled, he couldn't come on his own. He had to be brought. We too are crippled because of sin, and we have to be rescued. Mephibosheth was doomed. He was without hope. He was hopeless. As are we without Christ. But then enters David, a picture of God the Father. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What Mephibosheth received is what you will receive if you enter into this blood covenant with God. Through Jesus, you and God will be blood brothers. You enter into this covenant through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be blood brothers with God. Mephibosheth received four basic things from David, and it's the four same things that you will receive from God. First of all, he received forgiveness. David could have killed him, and he would have had every right to do so, because that was the custom of that day. You, you just just whack off, man, the, the, uh, the descendants of the old king. Kill him. But he forgave him instead. David could have killed him because he was related to Saul, but instead he forgave him. Mephibosheth also received fellowship. He got to fellowship with King David. Through the blood covenant of Christ, you will get to have fellowship with God. Mephibosheth also received King David's fortune. The scripture says, we are joint heirs with Christ. His wealth, becomes our wealth and lastly Mephibosheth also was accepted into the king's family he was treated like one of his own sons entering into this agreement with God means that you'll receive forgiveness and fellowship and fortune and family and you'll receive a whole abundance of other things but they didn't start with the letter f okay you'll receive eternal life So what does God expect out of you in return? You say, man, God's given us a bunch of stuff. What does He expect out of me? Because, you know, it takes two to tango. It's, there's two in this agreement. What does He expect out of you? He expects worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You believe in jesus and you follow jesus that's what he wants in return so i have to say church make up your mind open your heart to the loving kindness of god i want to encourage you to enter into the blood covenant relationship with jesus christ you have to decide you have to make up your mind i'm going to end today by just calling you to jesus by calling you to by calling you to make that decision to give your life to him. The band is actually going to make their way up. If you you guys would, come on up. Uh, Pastor Chris, if you could get ready for some baptisms and volunteers, if you could go ahead and get in your places as well, that'd be great. This morning, we're, we're stepping out in faith. And we're trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is working in your life. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart. If while we're singing this morning, you realize, I, I've never done that. I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never asked Him to be my God. I'm going to ask by a movement of the Holy Spirit, if God comes to your seat and he taps you on your shoulder and he says, today's the day. Today is the day of your salvation. I'm not going to try to persuade you. That's God's job. But I want to encourage you. The second the Lord taps you on the shoulder, I'm going to ask you to agree with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to say yes. Say yes to God. Say, yes, God, I'm a sinner. Yes, God, I believe that you died for my sins. And yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to enter into that covenant relationship with you, God. I want you to agree with the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, Walk to the front. And I'm going to ask you to get baptized today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 says, So those who received his word were baptized. You say, And I, I, I don't have a change of clothes, Pastor. We've got that covered for you, okay? We have t shirts. We, uh, Chris went to Walmart and got some shorts. Okay, we got that covered for you. you. Your clothes will dry if you want to just get baptized in your street clothes. We've got a towel for you, even. I, I, just, I just want to say, man, let the, let the adventure begin today. Let it begin right now. You say, man, it's just too public. All these people will be looking at me. It'll be weird. Jesus was crucified publicly. Let me just say, he was fully exposed, completely naked. I think you can respond publicly as well. And you won't be naked. We'll have clothes for you. (laughs) Others of you here this morning have known for a really long time that you should get baptized. You were baptized as an infant, but that was for your parents. That wasn't for you. If I were to ask you why you haven't been baptized yet, you'd have some lame answer or excuse. The Scripture makes it clear we're to believe and then we're to be baptized. It was part of the Great Commission from Jesus Christ Himself. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you can't be obedient in the little things that Jesus asks of us, You're never going to reach the full potential that He intends for your life. Get baptized today. Come on. What's holding you back? Don't let pride hold you back. Some of you have already decided to follow Jesus and you've already been baptized. And I say, that's great. It's awesome. I want to encourage you. Why don't you come forward this morning? pray for your sister or that co-worker or your best friend or your dad who still needs jesus church was never meant for you to come and sit and listen to a guy talk and then you leave unchanged you need to participate with us and i want to encourage you come forward and pray for those friends and those family members that don't know jesus they need your prayers desperately Some people are going to mark this day as the most powerful day in their life. I believe. So, with that said, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. And the moment we start singing, I'm going to encourage you to be courageous. I'm going to encourage you to believe in Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to step out, walk to the front of the auditorium, and to be baptized. And I, I need to give you one more instruction. This is critical. The fellas need to go to this side and the ladies need to go to this side. Okay? Grace Church, I just want to encourage us when people are baptized this morning, let's celebrate, let's cheer, let's worship the Lord this morning. So I I just want to say, come on, man. Come on as we sing. Come forward. Step out in faith this morning. Do it now as I pray. Right now, step out in faith. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your hard words because they make soft hearts. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't mess around with you. I pray that we would give our lives to you in full devotion. We would give you our best. We wouldn't give you our leftovers. And if some of us have been bringing crippled sheep and rotten food to your presence, I pray God that you would forgive us. And I pray that we would repent and we would begin today giving you our best. Lord, I pray that some today would enter into that covenant relationship with you. They would become blood brothers and blood sisters with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in your most powerful name. and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move. Amen.
1: I was no Speed
2: Sue says, When the people heard this gospel presentation from Peter, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, "Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." And those who accepted his message were baptized. And, and that day, about three thousand souls were added to their number. And what I love about that, what I love about this passage, is that three thousand people were so excited, and they were so moved by the gospel presentation. They were so changed in their heart by the message of Jesus that they were they were anticipating, they were excited. And obedience. And that very day, the Bible says 3,000 people who did not prepare to come and get baptized decided to get wet. They decided to go public with their faith because they wanted the world to know that Jesus had changed their hearts and changed their lives and changed their eternities. And so that very day, 3,000 people got baptized. And this morning, we have several people who have come forward and they want to go public with their faith. Whether they've been Christians for a long time and just never been baptized. Or whether today is the day that they repented of their sin and chose to follow Jesus Christ, they are being obedient to Scripture. And so we want to celebrate that. Amen? Let's celebrate. Yeah. The first individual that we've got that came forward is Katie McCauley. Katie, why don't you come on down? I'm going to introduce you to Grace Church. If you don't know Katie already, this is this is. Katie. i I'd love to do that as we close out this portion of the service. Father God, we thank you for those who have been obedient to your word. We thank you for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. We pray that you would bless their walk with you, that you would grow them in Christ, that you would protect them. And we know that you're going to keep them because you promised that in your word. I thank you for those who have been saved for for many years or many months and they decided today to go public with their faith. God, we give you the glory and the honor. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you did in this place today. And we just ask that you would be blessed and we ask that you would be honored with this act of worship in these baptism waters this morning. God, we give all the praise and glory to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.